do something a little bit different today than we've done for the last three or four weekends. I'm just going to say that the scripture tells me, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But in Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so whether there's a difference between teaching and preaching, uh, I don't really know if if it was my decision to define it. I might would say preaching is proclaiming the truth and teaching is explaining the truth. Both of them should have the same positive results is that the word of God, the truth is light and it lights our pathway. It shows us where to go. And uh, in, in the word, there is life. So I, I, want to, I want to address something that, that I have a feeling has been a question for some people. Uh, when all the churches are closed and we're having to meet this way, we never know uh, who, who's meeting with us. Possibly, uh, possibly somebody, your, your home church uh, does not have a, a meeting and you've, you've chosen to join with us and, and worship today. And if so, I'm so thankful that you're here. And uh, it may be that there's been something that's been a little bit of puzzle to you. And hopefully the Lord will help me answer that today. And I'm, I'm going to read a verse in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read three verses. And uh, it's... Now, I didn't go home. I just disappeared for a minute. Now, you really feel like you're at home because... You've just seen me take a break. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 said, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, and he suffered him. So now here's what I want to deal with. I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to answer the question. The question is, is water baptism important? And so there's a lot of folk. Folks, without my permission, y'all just feel free to make yourself comfortable. You praise, thank God for the praise team that poured their hearts out here. And uh, I appreciate them being here uh, with me. They're witnesses to the word. I, I feel their, their prayer that the word of the Lord would minister. And so this is what I want to say. There's a lot of people today, including preachers, that say water baptism's not really important. I mean, you could forget it if you wanted to. I've had preachers say that to my face. Uh, and that, you know, why, why do you make a big deal over water baptism because it's not really important and it's not uh, necessary. And uh, I'm just going to say that if baptism was not important, it wouldn't be in the Bible. I'm going to say if it was not important, there would be no instructions in the Bible telling us how to perform it. And if it was not important, there, there wouldn't be a command in the Bible for us to practice it. 
So now in our text today, Jesus showed us by example that baptism was something we needed to do. Now, that's not the only time that he showed something as an example. The Bible said the last time he met with them uh, before the crucifixion, they met for the Last Supper. It was Passover. And Scripture said he. it's in the 13th chapter of John, if you were to read verses 12 through 15. Uh, he washed their feet, and, and then he said, Do you know why I did this? And he said, The reason I did this, you, you call me your Lord and Master, and, and that's the truth. That's who I am. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, if I'm your master and I washed your feet, then you need to do that for one another. And here's what he said, verse 15. For I, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So uh, Jesus, again, after, with the example being baptized to fulfill all righteousness, he said. And then he shows this example for us that he washed their feet. Now, he didn't uh, wash their feet because they weren't clean, uh, but uh, he says that he is, um, and, and, and he didn't get baptized because he needed to be baptized because Jesus was pure. There was no need for him to be baptized for the remission of sins. But he did this. He said, I did it to fulfill righteousness. Righteousness means that which is right. So it's right. It's righteous for us to be baptized. Right. It's right. And so the Bible teaches about water baptism. And Jesus showed us by example that we need to be baptized. So what we need to do is study and see what the Bible has to say about this subject. Right. So now here, here's some things to ponder. How important is water baptism? And what is important? about water baptism now there are a lot of uh, opinions there are a lot of statements that have been made about the unimportance or the importance of water baptism some uh, some personal opinions and some are uh, established church doctrines and every opinion is not aligned with the bible teaching and every church doctrine is not really aligned with bible teaching here's some things that i've heard people say uh, you get baptized to join a local church or there's a certain time of year that new candidates get baptized once a year we have baptisms or there i've had people say well you need to wear white when you get baptized or i've heard people say you need to get baptized in running water it's not the it's not good enough if you get in a, a tank back here. You've got to go to some live water somewhere. Uh, I've heard people say it doesn't matter if you get sprinkled or you get immersed. I've heard some people say that it doesn't matter what is said over you or even if nothing is said. I observed a baptism. I was invited to go, and uh, the preacher just baptized the guy without saying anything he turned to me and said what do you think I said didn't do him a bit of good uh, because uh, I'm one of the people who believes that it is important right. and uh, so uh, some people say you ought to baptize babies some people say uh, baptism is not necessary for salvation I've had preachers just shout in my face and say uh, that you're you're trying to say they have to be baptized to be saved but they're only saved by faith and 
you're trying to make baptism a work and, and they're not supposed to be saved by that. And I've had people say, well, baptism is just a testimony to other people that you're already saved. It's, a, it's an outward sign of an inward act. But, of course, there are people that, like myself, that would say baptism is necessary for salvation. And it is important what you say, the person, what the person says who is baptizing you. Uh, and, and babies cannot be baptized because they're, uh, there's some criteria that they have to meet and the baby's not able to do that. And so if the Bible teaches about water baptism, the subject must be important. Right. And um, if the Bible does not teach about it, if the Bible does teach about it, then that information is Bible doctrine. Bible doctrine becomes a necessity for us to study and obey. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And as Jesus said, we're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness, fulfill what's right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's to prove what is right. right. So what does the Bible say about water baptism? The first thing the Bible teaches is that water baptism is a command. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, being assembled together with them, this is Jesus, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He gave them a command where they're supposed to assemble. Matthew 28, verse 18, uh, he says... All powers given to him, go and teach all nations, verse 19 and verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This, this teaching is a command. What they're going to go out preaching and teaching is what Jesus commanded them to do. Luke 24, verses 45 through 49, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scripture, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And now here is what he's going to command. He's going to command his apostles to do this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things and behold, I send the promise of my Father on you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now also, in conjunction with this, we have to understand that Jesus had given Peter the keys to the kingdom. He was basically saying, you're going to be my spokesperson. You're going to be the one that preaches the message first. You're going to unlock the door to the church age, uh, to, to the world. And it was in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus did this. Verse 19, uh, he said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you will loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached what the Lord has opened his understanding to. And, and the Lord had commanded him to preach. And the other apostles stood as witnesses to make sure he was preaching what Jesus had revealed to them. And here's what he preached. He, he preached 
uh, the gospel, uh, verse uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Now he has just preached to them already that they took this Jesus with wicked hands and they crucified him. They buried him. The grave wasn't able to hold him. He's raised. And he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. Now, these people became believers in Jesus right then. They heard the gospel and they believed it. Now, a lot of people say, well, that meant they're saved already. They believed it and they're pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And like I've said before, I've heard preachers say you don't do anything, but that's not what the preacher and his witnesses said on the birthday of the church. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Understand, remember they're saying Jesus told them, I'm commanding you, to preach and he opened their understanding for what to preach. Now Peter re-emphasized the importance of baptism at Cornelius's house in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, Cornelius gives his story. He's a Gentile. He said, uh, he said, four days ago I was praying. Uh, angel came, told me to send for uh, somebody that was named Peter. And, uh, so I was praying and I sent to Joppa, and I've called you, and, and I'm glad that you're here. He said, immediately, therefore, I'm in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Peter opened his mouth and said, I'm seeing something. God don't respect anybody. It doesn't matter what nation, whatever. Uh, I, I can understand that. And so he preached to them. He preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. And, and he preached that message. Verse, uh, and while he's preaching, in verse 42 then he said, Peter says, it, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify. And so he spoke of what the prophets had done. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. All those in Cornelius' house were filled with the Holy Ghost while the preacher was still preaching. Faith was strong. And they and 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 then for they let me back up just a little bit because you need to see this is in the Bible. While Peter yet spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on them which believed, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Peter brought some friends with him. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, and here's how they knew. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as, as we? Verse 48, listen. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So, it's a Bible command. Jesus gave the command to his apostles, commanded them to preach, and when they preached, they commanded the people's obedience that they would be baptized. So, water baptism is a command. Now, here's a question. Is it necessary for salvation? 
I'm going to say baptism is for the remission of sins. How can we be saved if our sins are not washed away? Revelation 1 verse 5 said he washed us from our sins in his own blood. So the blood of Jesus washes our sins away. But how do you get the blood? Do you, do everybody in the world, is everybody in the world just automatically washed by the blood of Jesus? No, because there's a lot of folk that are not going to be saved. So the, the, the blood of Jesus has got to be applied to our lives some way. Now, Luke 24, remember, read this a little bit ago. Uh, verses 46 and 47, Jesus is opening the understanding of his apostles and he gives them the great commission right here and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. There's so many important clues here. It's going to start in Jerusalem and the message is going to be they're going to have to repent and have their sins washed away. And it's going to be in Jesus' name. It's going to start in Jerusalem. So that's the last things Jesus said. A cloud received him up out of the sight of the of his apostles. He was carried into heaven. Two angels appeared. They said, well, you guys stand in here. You heard what he said. Won't you go to Jerusalem and wait for that promise like he told you? So they, they, they down the hill, they go to an upper room. They are in the upper room tarrying. And uh, that's when the Holy Ghost is poured out in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And... The story unfolds, as I was explained a little while ago, uh, the apostles and those others that are in the upper room with them, 120 people are filled with the Holy Ghost and people from town gather in because it is a feast. It's the feast uh, 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 of uh, Pentecost and uh, they're curious. They're asking questions. Peter preaches to them. And like I said a little while ago, they're pricked in their heart. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, in order to get your sins washed away. The Apostle Paul gave his own testimony in Acts chapter 22, verse uh, 12. He said Ananias was a good man. He came and stood and, and, and he said, uh, Brother, Brother uh, Saul, you, I, you know, I'm just sort of tell this this way. Saul of Tarsus was going to persecute Christians. A light from heaven brighter than the sun shined, blinded him. But a voice told him to go and somebody would tell him what to do. And so he is... He is waiting, and uh, Ananias, a preacher, comes, and he says, um, Brother Saul, um, the Lord sent me here, and, and I want you to receive your sight. He said, the same hour I looked and saw him, and he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, and you're going to preach his will, and you're going you're, you're to hear the, uh, the sound of his voice, and you're going to be a great witness. And then the preacher said to Apostle Paul, he wasn't the apostle yet, but he would become. The preacher Ananias said, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? So 
there is no other way for me to get the blood of Jesus. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. But the way for me to get that blood applied to my life is to have a preacher baptize me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That blood, when I obey to fulfill all righteousness, when I obey and follow the example of Jesus, I am buried and the blood of Jesus washes my sins away. Now, now, for those that say you get baptized as a testimony to the other people that you're already saved, um, I have to understand the Apostle Paul later was preaching in uh, Philippi. Paul and Silas were there, and uh, they got arrested. They got beaten and put in a prison. And um, during the night, they were singing, praising God, and an earthquake came and loosed everybody that was in the prison. The jailer started to kill himself, and... Uh, Paul shouted out and said, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for a light, and uh, he said, uh, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the introductory statement, you've got to understand, this was not the conclusive statement, but the introductory statement was that Paul and Silas said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. That was just an introduction because the very next verse said, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And the proof that the jailer believed on the Lord was the next verse. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Now here's the thing, if that was supposed to be just a testimony to everybody that the jailer and his family were already saved. Who was there to witness it? Because it's at midnight that Paul and Silas are singing and praising. So the man is asking the question, what do I need to do to be saved? And he is baptized after he hears the preaching. So it brings us to another thing to answer Uh, do you wait once a year to baptize somebody well I would say no if if baptism is necessary for salvation why take a chance that the Lord will come before next year's baptism service how do you know that suppose you came to church and today for the first time God opened your understanding to the plan of salvation you heard a preacher say you need to repent you need to be baptized in Jesus name for the remission of sins and you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost what if for that first time a person came to this altar prayed maybe maybe received the gift of the Holy Ghost and said well you know what I think I'm going to wait though about the baptism and they leave get in their car and After they drive away, there's a terrible accident and they die. Why take the chance? Why not be like Ananias told the Apostle Paul? Why, Terry, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins? So they didn't, they didn't, the jailer didn't wait for later. He got baptized that night. Uh, The Ethiopian eunuch in the scripture, uh, in eighth chapter of the book of Acts, he just said, here's, you open my understanding. I thank you. You explain that scripture to me. Here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And the apostle Paul, like I said, Ananias said, why Terry? 
Let's get this done right now. So here's another question. Is it important whether we sprinkle or pour or immerse a person in baptism? I'm just going to say baptism in the Bible was by immersion. Romans 6 verse 3 said, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been planted, planted, what do you do? You put the seed in the soil, cover it up. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, Colossians 2, verses 9 through 12, For in him that's in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And an explanation, there's no period of explanation to how that spiritual circumcision is. Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Here's something else in John chapter 3 verse 23. John also was baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was much water there. If you didn't need much water, uh, I could uh, get a, a water bottle or something and I could just sprinkle you right here. I could get a glass of water and... Uh, pour some on you and drink the rest of it. If that's, if that's all it took, but he was baptized because there was much water there. Matthew 3, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Mark 1, 9. Uh, that, again, Jesus of Nazareth uh, of Galilee was baptized of John and Jordan and straightway coming up out of the water. So there are uh, scriptural Proofs for us that baptism, the baptizee, uh, was immersed in water. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 36, I mentioned about Philip, uh, and um, he sees the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. The man's reading the scripture, doesn't understand. Philip joins him, explains it, and, and as they travel along, the Ethiopian said, well, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, uh, you, you can do that. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38 of Acts chapter 8 said, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Now, I'm just going to say that word, that word for baptize, the Greek word is baptizo. It only means, it means to dip, to immerse, to, to plunge. It was, uh, it was used like with the Greeks when they would take a, a piece of garment, they were dying and they would dip it, they would immerse it, uh, in the dye. Uh, the baptism, that word baptism, it means consisting of the process of immersion, submersion, submersion, and emergence. That's what baptism means. You submerge and then you emerge. You dip somebody. Those, those are from Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words. Now, 
If you're sprinkled, that's a totally different word. It's uh, rantizo, and uh, that, that has nothing to do with baptism. So if we haven't been buried in baptism, we've not obeyed the gospel. Right. Here's something else that's important. The gospel, uh, you, you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read the first four verses. It says uh, he's going to declare the gospel, and it's by the gospel that we're saved. And uh, he says that we can believe in vain. You know, uh, folk can understand, they can hear the gospel message and believe it, but they believe in vain. How could they believe in vain? They believe in vain if they hear and believe the word, but they don't obey. They don't do what they're commanded to do. It's in vain. So the scripture continues in verses 3 and 4. What the gospel is, it's that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. I'm going to say we have to do more than hear and believe the gospel. We've got to obey it. Uh, a lot of time people love to go to Romans chapter 10 uh, that says, you know, if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, we'll be saved. But again, that's the introductory statement. That's like, that's like uh, Paul and Silas speaking to the, the jailer. Uh, in Philippi, uh, that was the opening statement because the scripture goes on to say, how can they call on him that they've not believed? And how can he believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can he preach unless he's been sent? And he said, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But the next verse said, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Obedience is important. I'm going to tell you why. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses seven through nine. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Uh, I asked a friend of mine one time, I said, uh, have you obeyed the gospel? And he said, well, uh, I repented of my sins. And I said, well, that's a good start because that's part of it. So how do we obey the gospel? If we've got to die, we've got to be buried, and we've got to rise again. So we die in repentance. That's where we crucify the old man of flesh. We crucify, we put that man to death. We die in repentance and the scripture tells us, Romans chapter 6, Colossians chapter 2, that we are buried with him in baptism. And then we're raised when he fills us with his spirit. Romans 6, verse 3 through 6, let me read it. It said, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You did notice that conditional word, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so baptism is by immersion. Here's another point. Is it important what is said over us in baptism? I'm just going to say that uh, 
in Acts chapter 19, Apostle Paul rebaptized some people that John the Baptist had already baptized. And the only reason he rebaptized them was because he was going to say something different over them. John the Baptist is a good man. Jesus said there wasn't anybody born a woman that was greater than John the Baptist. But when Paul said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That was in Acts chapter 19. You read the first uh, five verses and get that story. And, And so it was important enough what he said that although John the Baptist had baptized these people, they had to get rebaptized to have the right name called over them. I'm just going to say here's something else that's important about this name. God established a covenant with Abraham. Everybody don't discuss this always, but it was a covenant of circumcision. It represented God's claim of ownership over those people. And the important factor that we that we uh, balance out with baptism is that the Jewish male was not named until the day he was circumcised. That was the eighth day according to the law that God gave Moses. On the eighth day after that child was born was the day of circumcision. Now, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ both were named by angels before they were conceived in the mother's womb. But neither was called by that name until the eighth day when they were circumcised. What I mean, what more important examples could we come up with than John the Baptist and Jesus Christ? You'll find it in Luke chapter 1, verses 59 and 60. It came to pass that on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. Now the next chapter, chapter 2 of Luke, verse 21 says, and this is about Jesus, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, In the New Testament, water baptism replaces the covenant of circumcision. We were reading that a little while ago in Colossians 2. You're complete in him. It's the head of all principality and power in whom also you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of a body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And the explanation is verse 12, buried with him in baptism wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation. Notice that that word is used in there, operation of God who raised him from the dead. Now, you see, baptism is where we get adopted into the family because God gets named. If we're adopted in the family, the family name is given to us. And uh, it's important. I, I want the family name because God spoke through Isaiah in chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. God has said, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name. He's only going to call the family. The family name is Jesus. 
Yeshua, Jehovah's salvation, Jesus, Jesus. The mighty God did not reveal his saving, his own saving name. He did not reveal his own saving name until he came in the flesh to save his people from their sins. This is why you read of him in the Old Testament. Uh, and he said, why do you ask me something that's a secret? You're asking me something that I'm, I'm just not ready to reveal right now. But Scripture tells me, uh, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth. His, there's a right time. So here, the, the name of Jesus is the name of the mighty God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In John 5, 43, Jesus said, I'm coming in my Father's name. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 said, Jesus got his name by inheritance. It's the way I got my name. I inherited Smith from my Father. And so this is why the early church called the name of Jesus over converts in water baptism. I mentioned this that we read early when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, when they heard it, they were pricked in their heart. And then Peter told them what to do, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria. He preaches. There's a lot of good things that are happening. Demons are cast out. People are healed. There's great joy in the city. But Peter and John come down. Verse 15 of chapter 8, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was falling on none of them. They hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. They had miracles and demons cast out and great joy, but didn't have the Holy Ghost. But it says, for as yet he was falling on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 19, we were just talking about that. Paul rebaptized those uh, followers of John the Baptist, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Tenth chapter of Acts, we talked about the command that the, that the Lord had given, and Peter goes to Cornelius's household. Cornelius said, "You tell us what God commanded of you." And verse forty-eight says, uh, "Verse forty-seven, he said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we?'" Verse forty-eight, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now the Lord told us what His name is. The chapter just before that, Acts chapter nine, verses three through five, is told about Saul of Tarsus going down to Damascus to persecute the church. And as he journeyed, verse 3, a light came from heaven. Uh, he fell to the earth and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? Verse 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the prick. So when the apostle Peter told Cornelius' household, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Understanding is the name of the Lord is Jesus. I'm just going to say researchers agree that the early church only baptized using the name of Jesus. Save a little time. If you're curious, you come to me or call me or text me or something sometime later. I can give you volume number, page number. 
But right now, let me just sort of tell you from the dictionary of the Bible by Scribner's, quote, the original form of words were into the name of Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus. Baptism into the Trinity was a later development. Britannica Encyclopedia, everywhere in the oldest sources, it states that baptism took place in the name of Jesus Christ. New International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. No record of the Trinitarian formula can be discovered in the Acts of the Apostles. The Encyclopedia Britannica. We gather from Acts 19.4 that John had merely baptized in the name of the coming Messiah without identifying him with Jesus of Nazareth. The apostolic age supplied this identification and the normal use during it seemed to have been into Christ Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ simply or of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dictionary of the Bible by James Hastings. Uh, moreover, there is no mention in the New Testament of anyone being baptized in the name of the Trinity. A History of the Christian Church by Williston Walker. With the early disciples generally baptized, baptism was in the name of Jesus Christ. Her, uh, Schaff Herzog Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge. The New Testament only knows Baptism in the name of Jesus, which still occurs in the second and third centuries. Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. Christian baptism was administered using the words in the name of Jesus. Lang's commentary on Matthew. No trace is to be found of the employment of these words. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit by the apostolic church. Caney Encyclopedia. The early church always baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus until the development of the Trinity. Afterwards, they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Bible Commentary. The command to baptize into the threefold name is a late doctrinal expansion. Instead of the words baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, we should probably simply read into my name. International Encyclopedia, the doctrine of the Trinity, did not form part of the apostles' preaching as this is reported in the New Testament. So if the development of the Trinity took the doctrine, that doctrine took the name of Jesus out of baptism, uh, when did it happen? World Book Encyclopedia, but the doctrine of three and one is considered to be a mystery for which there is not adequate explanation the first authoritative statement of belief in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was made by the earliest general council of churches held in Nicaea in 325, which also declared the Son to be of equal substance with the Father. New International Encyclopedia, the Trinity Doctrine. The Catholic faith is this. We worship one God in Trinity, but there is one person of Father, another of Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. The doctrine is not found in its fully developed form in the Scriptures. Modern theology does not seek to find it in the Old Testament. At the time of the Reformation, the Protestant Church took over the doctrine of the Trinity without serious examination. So men may have taken the name of Jesus out of baptism, but the name is still necessary. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we come back to our original question. How important is water baptism? Some people say it's not necessary, it's not important. But we've established this. It is a command. If God commands it, it's necessary. 
It's for the remission of sins. How can we be saved if our sins are not washed away? We must be baptized if we're going to obey the gospel. If we don't obey the gospel, God's going to come with flame and fire, taking vengeance on us, and we'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And we will not be adopted into the family without the family name. If we're not in the family, we'll not be named in the will. I want the name of the family on me. So yes, I'm going to say baptism is necessary. And yes, it is required for salvation in case anybody needed a verse. Let me give you 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, which quotes, The like figure whereinto even baptism doth also now save us. Parentheses, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Close parentheses, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to say water baptism alone does not save us, but we cannot be saved without water baptism in Jesus' name. And just, you know, if somebody walks up to you and hands you an egg and says, here, here's a cake. Uh, that's not a cake by itself. You can't make the cake without it. You got to have that egg in it. But that's just part of it. There, there's more involved in salvation. Jesus said, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things. Jesus saves us. The gospel saves us. Faith in the gospel and obedience to the gospel saves us. Jesus said, except you repent, you're going to perish. Uh, eighth chapter of Romans said, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Scripture said, you've got to endure to the end. If you endure to the end, you'll be saved. So there are things involved in salvation. There are things that don't matter. You don't have to wear white. You don't have to be in running water. You don't have to go to the Jordan River to get it done. But you do need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for their mission sins. Right. I, have, um, I have a copy of this. I'm thankful. It was, um, it was written about three years after John the Apostle recorded the book of the Revelation. This is written about 100 A.D., uh, and it's it's uh, somebody's eyewitness account of somebody getting baptized. I'm going to read it. The deacon raised his hand and Publius Decius stepped through the baptistry door. Standing waist deep in the pool was Marcus Vasca, the woodseller. He was smiling as Publius waded into the pool beside him. Kratos, he asked. Crato responded Publius. I believe that my salvation comes from Jesus the Christ who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. With him I die that with him I may have eternal life. Then he felt strong arms supporting him as he let himself fall backward into the pool and heard Marcus's voice in his ear. I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus as the cold water closed over him. That was quoted in Time Magazine, December the 5th, 1955, on page 66. That document was written in uh, 100 A.D. in Rome, and I have a copy of that magazine, thanks to a good friend of mine. Now, closing, in closing, let me say this. Some have expressed some confusion because Matthew 28, 19 says to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to say there are only two verses in the King James Version of the Bible that suggest the existence of a trinity. 
One is 1 John 5, verse 7, which says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The other is Matthew 28, 19, which says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So let me say first, 1 John 5, verse 7 has clearly been identified as an imposter. New Testament is about... 2,000 years old, but this verse, 1 John 5, 7, has a birthday this year. This year, that verse turns 500 years old. 1,500 years passed before it got into the scripture. And the credit is soon be given to a Franciscan friar named Froy. He inserted it in 520 while Erasmus was hurrying to finish his Textus Receptus. It was inserted in Tectus Receptus 3rd edition in 1522. Now, Tectus Receptus was one of the manuscripts used translating the King James Version. I'm going to say the International Greek Society rejects this verse, saying that it was never appeared in any Greek text. Modern translations of the Bible do not include this verse in their Bible. I've spoken uh, with people in other countries. I, I was preaching in, in Korea, and I mentioned something. I said, uh, uh, you know, First John 5, verse 7, my interpreter turned to me and said, that verse is not in our Bible. I said, that's good. Your Bible is right. So if we take away First John 5, 7, the only other verse in the Bible that suggests a trinity would be Matthew 28, 19. So what about that verse? Let me give you some food for thought. I'm going, to, I'm going to read a few quotes to you from a, a collection of evidence for and against traditional wording of the baptismal phrase. Here's, here's the first question. What happened to the earliest manuscripts? This will give you some answers. Diocletian in 303 AD ordered all the sacred books to be burnt, but enough survived to transmit the text. That's from Svet and Variorium. Uh, who record that Eusebius wrote this I saw with my own eyes the houses of prayer thrown down and raised to their foundation and the inspired and sacred scriptures consigned to the fire in the open marketplace about 350 AD um, two priests Acacius and uh, Eusebius took the fragments what they had left and tried to restore the damaged library of Pamphilus uh, at Caesarea and uh, they they tried to replace those uh, papyrus books with vellum now here's Eusebius Pamphylia or Eusebius of Caesarea he was a um, he was a close follower of Pamphilus who founded an extensive library of uh, of, of copies of sacred scripture. Uh, he, he was from uh, 270 AD to 340 AD, and Pamphilius was martyred. And, uh, but for 40 years, Eusebius lived under his influence. And the man had a great, great library of, of, of texts that were as close to the originals as probably was possible. Let me read, this is from, uh, this continues, this, this quote uh, from uh, Hibbert Journal. 
He said, of the patristic witnesses to the text of the New Testament as it stood in the Greek manuscript from about 300 to 340 A.D., none is so important as Eusebius of Caesarea, for he lived in the greatest Christian library of that age, that namely which Origen and Pamphilus had collected. In his library, Eusebius must have habitually handled codices of the gospel older by 200 years than the earliest of the general unicles that we now have in our libraries. He says, Eusebius cites this text, Matthew 28, 19, again and again in works written between 300 and 336. He says, I have, after a moderate search in these works of Eusebius, found 18 citations of Matthew 28, 19, and always in the following form, and he quotes the way Eusebius would write them. Go ye and make disciples of all the nations in my name, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And Eusebius is not content merely to cite the verse in this form, but he more than once comments on it in such a way as to show how much he sets store by the words, in my name. Thus, in his Demonstrato Evangelica, he writes this, For he did not enjoin them to make disciples of all the nations, simply and without qualifications, but with the essential addition, in his name. For so great was the virtue attached to this appellation that the apostle said, God bestowed on him the nature, the name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It was right, therefore, that he should emphasize the virtue of the power residing in his name, but hidden from the many, and therefore say to his apostles, Go ye and make disciples of all nations in my name. It is evident that this was the text found by Eusebius in the very ancient codices collected 50 to 150 years before his birth by his great predecessors. Of any other form of text, he had never heard and knew nothing until he had visited Constantinople and attended the Council of Nicaea. So in addition to the research I've shared in the doctrine of baptism, Baptism also has to meet one other criteria. 2 Corinthians 13.1 This is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. There is a law of two or three witnesses. Now the Old Testament law that would protect somebody's life, an innocent person couldn't be put to death unless they had three witnesses. In the New Testament, it becomes a safeguard for doctrine. In the courtroom of Bible evidence... Water baptism was in Jesus' name and never administered in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus taught the apostles, open their understanding. Here's evidence if we went to the courtroom. Jesus taught the apostles, open their understanding. He gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, made the other apostles witnesses. Every baptism of the apostles that's recorded in the book of Acts showed they were baptized in Jesus' name. Recorded history verifies that the early church baptized in Jesus' name. History records the event where the baptismal formula was changed. No person in the Bible was baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So Matthew 28, 19 should have recorded what Jesus said the same way Luke recorded it in Luke 24, 47, which he said for 24, uh, 47, I'm going to read verses 
45 through 48. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture and said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So whether or not Matthew 28, 19 was corrupted by somebody, you need to understand one other thing. Matthew 28, 19 still didn't cover all the bases because it said baptized in the name of. That's one name. That's, that's a singular name. In the name of. Father is not a name. It's a noun, but it's not a proper name. Son is not a proper name. Holy Spirit is not a proper name. It's an adjective describing a spirit. Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name in John 5, 43. So the Father's name is Jesus. The angel said, you're going to call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Jesus said, the 14th chapter of John said, the, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the Father's going to send in my name. So if we baptize in the name, that's the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, we've got to call the name of Jesus or we're not baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Whatever designation you use. I've shared this before. I did write a check for a friend years ago. We were debating this subject. We were discussing it. And they were saying, well, it's the same thing if you say Father, and Son, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the same thing because we know what we're talking about. So I said, okay, let me write you a check. And I took my checkbook with my check number, wrote my name. I wrote pay to the order of, and I wrote the person's name. And I put $1,000 and I spelled it out, 1000 and no one hundreds dollars. And at the bottom, I signed it, son, brother, cousin, uncle. I put some titles. I said, here's a check for $1,000. It's on my banking account. That's my bank number. Would you give me $100 for this check? And they said, no. And I said, would you give me $50 for this check? They said, no. And I said, Why? Because your name's not on it. And I'm just going to tell you, if you were baptized and somebody merely said in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name. And you need to do like the people in Acts chapter 19 that John the Baptist had baptized. And you need to get re-baptized with somebody calling the name of Jesus over you. God bless you so much. I'm not pre I, I didn't teach today to be antagonistic. The word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. If I give you the word of God, that is from God himself because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so you won't have any argument with me. You'll have argument with the eternal God who created this plan of salvation. God bless you so much. I want the peace of God to be on your life. Let me pray for you in a minute. Jesus, thank you for those who've been so hungrily listening to your word with honest hearts thank you for those who've been turning in their bible make sure these verses are really there they're studying to show themselves approved unto god workmen that don't need to be ashamed 
because they're rightly dividing the word of truth. I pray that you let the veracity, let the honesty, let the absolute truth of your word be so overwhelmingly convincing that there won't be any reason for a person to stand in uncertainty and say, I really don't know whether that's the way to go or not. Let them know without, without any uncertainty that they need to be baptized in your name. I ask you to help them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.